Thank you guys for having me. It's a joy to be here. I'm just going to pray real quick. That's okay with everybody? Well, Lord, we love you. We love the way that you move. You have freedom to move among us, Lord. Um, anoint our hearts just to hear you, to see you, to, to sense you, and to know you better in this hour that we have together. Lord, bless you, Jesus. Amen. So as Tom said, my, I was an atheist, uh, unchurched, secular humanistic atheist at, at University of Georgia. And I did, I did tell him that. And I, I remember him just kind of looking at me like I had, like I, it, was, it was funny. But it, one, of the, one of the first experiences I had with Tom, the very first time I met him, um, he gave me a book because I told him I was an atheist. And it was uh, Rabbi Zacharias, Atheism, A Shattered Visage. And in the front he wrote, I hope you find the answers you're looking for. J-E-R dot two nine colon eleven dash thirteen. And I literally had no idea what that meant. <laughs> that is how unchurched I was at college. I actually thought it was like a Christian code. <laughs> it actually kind of is, isn't it? <laughs> so I was like, crack the code. And I, I, it took me maybe a, a couple months before I figured out it was actually a Bible verse and a reference. But I did figure it out eventually. Um, so shortly after I had gone to Tom's office and asked him, you know, where do I sign up to join the Christian Peace Corps? Um, I told him I was ready. He said, well, you've only been a Christian for, you know, a few months. And I said, I love Jesus. I love kids. I love the nations. I'm ready to go. Let me go right now. And I remember him telling me, you know, you can go right now, but it'll be a short trip because you're not ready. And then he introduced this word to me that I'd never heard, Asbury Theology, Theological Seminary. And I was like, Theolog what does that mean? And what is seminary? You know, I was clueless. And uh, of course, my heart sunk because who wants to go to school after college, right? <laughs> and so I, I, pray, I prayed. I said, God, if you want me there, then you're going to have to pay for it. I'm not doing a thing. And he did. And so that's a whole other story. So... Um, Early on in my, in my walk with Jesus, I just began um, understanding that you can pray and God will hear you and he will help you and do what you pray for. And that's what had happened to me from, from day one. I would pray, God, I need a job. Um, I need to make a lot of money, God. And I, need only, I only want to work a few hours. <laughs> I was a student. I was student teaching. And I literally, while I was praying, because I had just read Philippians 4.19 for the first time. And it said, you can ask God for what you need and he'll, he'll do it. And I was like, you can? God, I'd like a job. I'd like to make a lot of money and work a few hours. <laughs> Amen. The phone rang. I picked it up. And Tammy, I was, somebody had called me. Actually, it was Tom's wife, Melissa. And she said, I was thinking about you and praying for you. Do you need a job where you can make a lot of money and just work a few hours? <laughs> and I said, oh my goodness. But I didn't see oh my goodness because I wasn't clearly sanctified. I was still brand new Christian. <laughs> But that's when I knew, that's when I knew that you can, you can pray and you can ask God for what you need and, and he'll hear you. And so um, with that, you know, I began praying for everything. God, God you know, and, and, and miracles just happened all the time. Whenever I just, I can't even explain to you, not making the needs known, just praying, God, I need this. God, God I could use $200. I've got to buy some books for classes. I found as I'm praying, I look down the ground and there's $200 bills on the ground that I pick up and I say, thank you, God. And that's how I got my, t that happened to me again and again and again, all the way through college and all the way into seminary. And um, I don't know if there's anybody here that went to seminary at the same time I was with me or was, was one of my people. I'm not sure if they're here right now, but we, there used to be a following to the SPO 
How much does Tammy need? She needs $700. When does she need it? She needs it by noon. You know, and we'll open up my spell box and there'd be a, a random check in there for $700. And so I saw these kind of things and God just began building in me this, this um, just, it wasn't, my, it wasn't my great faith. It was just his faithfulness. And so I just began seeing that. And I saw a lot of, I went through uh, three years at Asbury. I never had $100, more than $100 in my bank account. And yet paid Asbury, paid for housing, food, everything else I needed the entire time I was here and never went into debt. And so that's what I'm talking about, seeing God move again and again and again. So today we're going to talk about contending prayer. And that's something that I think we read the, the passage in Genesis, right? I won't let go till you bless me. You know, that kind of heart that he had. I won't let go till you bless me, Jacob wrestling with God. And that's kind of what I talk, that's the image I have in my mind when I think about contending prayer. I won't let go till you bless me, God. I won't let go and just wrestling with God, you know. And I think that maybe sometimes in America, if, if it's okay that I say this, um, <laughs> um, what can you do to stop me, right? I, I have the mic. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, it's, it's, it's like Amazon Prime, instant, instant car, you know, culture. And like, you don't have to wait for anything. And so waiting on God is kind of like a lost art. It feels to me sometimes in, in the, in, in here in this culture. Um, and I think that it doesn't really lend itself to patience or waiting on God. And so my own seasons of, of, of wrestling with God have defined me over the years as a brand new Christian until, you know, yesterday. <laughs> this, this, this idea of, of, of a continuing prayer. And I have a couple examples. So um, I did go to India and I, and I with, along with two Indian sisters. Oh, I got to tell you this. I went across the street to Hughes uh, last night, and uh, the first person I saw was Ranjo, and I don't know, like my heart just melted because it was like India, and that's my home. And, and we hugged, and I was like, I don't know, it was so ministering to me, it was like a God moment. You know, the first, I'm just looking around the room, and the first person I just see, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and we're like, what? You know, and so it's just, so it was, it was very cool, but fast forward. We've seen a lot of miracles in, in India. Um, one of the early ones in our home, um, God led us, me and two Indian sisters, to take in children over the years. And in the very first Christmas, my kids came up to me, Tammy Ma, uh, we need crackers. And I said, and crackers is fireworks, y'all. So, Tammy Ma, we need crackers. Uh, it's Jesus' birthday. It's, this is Christmas Eve morning at 9 o'clock in the morning. They came up to me. We need crackers, Jesus, Jesus wants us to have crackers, it's his birthday. And I said, you know, well, pray if you want, go ask God, we don't have any money. Go ask your father in heaven. Okay, we'll do that, you know? And, and these eight, nine little kids in, in a huddle for, for 10 minutes of contending, God, you can only give us the crackers, you can only do it, God, we must, everybody is bursting crackers, but you're not getting any crackers and you're God. And so, <laughs> Jesus, it is your birthday only. You must give us the crackers, and we, you must do it. And so they finished praying after 10 minutes, and, and um, I was off the hook because they, you know, I couldn't get them crackers. And so they came um, forward, and they went, they went outside and played, and around 3 o'clock Christmas Eve day, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they deliver a box in the mail that's about this big. And it's just a huge box, and it's wrapped with tar and rope and burlap, and it just says uh, South India. And so we get a knife out and start cutting it open and the kids all run out. Oh, it's the crackers. Yes, Jesus, you did it. And I was thinking, baby, I told him, I said, my oldest one, he was 12 years old. I said, kidding, um, they can't send fireworks to the mail, honey. That's illegal. 
You're just kidding us, Terima. You know Jesus did it. <laughs> and I said, you know, Jesus, this is from God. We're, we're happy. Whatever it is, we're going to be thankful for it, but it's not going to be crackers, baby. And then so we cut it open, and we cut it open, and we opened up full of fireworks. <laughs> M80s, no, but mini sticks of dynamite, I mean, crackers, flash bombs. He went over the top with the crackers. And, um, and so my kids are just, Jesus, thank you so much. You gave us the crackers. You did it. And they're looking at their watches. Only it took you five hours, God. Good job. And, and, um, and so, and, so um, and my oldest boy looks at me. He goes, you knew it all along. No, Tema, you were just teasing us. And I said, yeah, I was teasing. And so that's, a, that's the image I have of continuing prayer. Another image I have is one of my kids. Um, this was probably uh, maybe 2007, maybe. We had a team come, um, incidentally, from Riverstone, and they had, brought, they had told me, Tammy, we want to bring your kids instruments. We know that they're into music, and we'd love to bless you with some instruments. And I said, that would be amazing. We love instruments. But I didn't tell anybody. This is a surprise. And so they come, and they bring... They bring um, you know, a drum set, a couple of guitars, a keyboard, a couple of other things, and they bring it to us, and my kids just go, I mean, they're just like, thank you, thank you, this is amazing, and they're crying, and they're happy, and I see one of my boys in the corner, he's about 11 years old, and he's just crying. And I walked over, I said, well, hey, buddy, what's, what's going on? And he goes, I'll show you. And he runs upstairs, comes back down with a journal, and he just, he just hands it to me. And I just open it, and it's just page after page. God, please, would you provide us instruments? We want to worship you. Would you please? And just page after page of my 11-year-old contending, never telling me, never saying it to anyone, just between an 11-year-old and God. God, would you send us instruments, God? We want to worship. We want to learn how to play instruments. Would you send them to us, God? Page after page after page after page. And so that's what I'm talking about when I talk about contending in prayer. And that's what I feel like God wants to do for us. And so I guess um, in, in my heart, I just feel like uh, one thing that's, that's lacking sometimes in me and all of us is the spiritual stamina, fortitude, you know, perseverance. And so that's kind of what, what this message is about. And so the first point, I guess you're supposed to do points, but um, <laughs> um, the first, by the way, uh, Jessica introduced me as a preacher and I was laughing because I'm not really a preacher. I just, I love Jesus and I love my people and, and I love India and I love the nations, I guess, but I actually um, am not. Um, I, I rarely ever speak, and, and so this is, that was funny. So, <laughs> but here I am, preaching. First Thessalonians 5.12 is the obvious verse that comes to mind, right? We all know it. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Ephesians 5.18, or 6.18. And the first point is that idea of just pray without ceasing. And that's something that God has taught us, taught us in India, to pray without ceasing. One um, story that comes to mind, um, because of a limit of time, I'm only giving you one story, but I've got about 75. So this is one. <laughs> but um, um, one, of my, one of my little ones, she came to our home um, through a social worker. Her name was uh, Narmada, and uh, she was about four years old. And her mother was really sick, and, and towards the last stages of life, not towards the last, she was in the, in the, close to the last stages of, of having AIDS, social worker brought her to her home and said, you know, 
she needs a family and would you be willing to take her? And we said yes, and we, we kind of did all, the, all the, the legal stuff. And, and she'd been in her home about six months and her birth mother shows back up and she's kind of rebounded. And she looks quite unwell, but she's rebounded. And she came and she said, um, I want my child back. We said, okay, uh, we, we believe in family reunification when it's possible, but you know, let's, let's talk about it, let's process it, what's this gonna look like? And she literally told us, I have a buyer for her. You see, I have a son, and I can't leave my son without any money when I die. I know that I'm gonna die soon. And she was a sweet, sweet woman. She wasn't, she wasn't cruel. She was just really impoverished. And, so, and, and she said, I don't, I don't actually want to raise my children, but I have somebody for my son. They're taking care, but I've gotta give them some money. And so I have somebody that will buy my daughter. And um, we were heartbroken. Like, what are you talking about, buy your daughter? I mean, I, my mind is blown, right? Your minds are blown. I can see by your faces. Um, but it, but it's, it's not exactly uncommon. Um, and, and some places uh, in, in that region. And so we called, you know, we got, we got people involved, we got the law involved, the authorities involved, and at the end of the day, at the end of this, this fighting and talking, the, the mother's rights won over. And so, and so they said, well, she won't really do it, this, you know, she's her mother, she would never really do that, you know. She was just saying that, she doesn't really mean it. And we're just like, no, and they said, you either release her right now, or we're gonna shut your whole home down. And so we, we sadly, and you know, with many tears, watched her walk away. I was heartbroken. And I stood out there by the gate, just crying. I was like, God, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? This cannot be a, a four-year-old being sold. You know it's for nefarious reasons, right? There's no other explanation. And so I'm just heartbroken. And I can't believe this is happening. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And God said, what are you doing? And um, I said, I asked you for, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, I just said, I, I, you're, you're, you didn't, she's gone. Like, she's leaving and like, there's nothing we can do. And he said, fight for her. And I was like, we did. We called the authorities. We called the lawyer. We called the police. You know, we did everything we could. And God just said, Tammy, come on. Are you kidding me? Fight for her. And I was like, oh, yes for her what's wrong with me yes you know and so we literally rallied everybody and we began praying and you've got you it's not you've never seen anything like it there's a group of five-year-olds over here and there's a there's 10 people 10 kids over here at that time we had 30 kids and there's you know teenagers over here young teenagers and there's and there's you know four and five-year-olds crying god bring Norma to back she's nothing should happen to her god she's our sister bring her back change her mother's mind show her this is not the way god bring her back bring her back bring her back People are praying like crazy. And this is before social media, so it's just me and my little gang. <laughs> we couldn't call on anybody to pray. We just, we're just praying, and we're asking God for a miracle, and the kids are praying, and, and, um, and my fr- you know, people that are with us, we're all praying, our community is praying, and um, for not just for a day or two days, but for, for 14 days, for two weeks. We're fasting dinner times. We didn't eat dinner, many of us. Many of my little kids, uh, my older kids, my older kids was like age eight. <laughs> Those are my older kids. You know, we were, we were fasting dinner and just praying for Narmada. And around January 22nd or so, 23rd, um, one of my oldest boys comes up to me, the same one that thought I was kidding about the firecrackers. Uh, he said, um, you can stop praying and we can eat dinner tonight. And I was thinking, oh, he's hungry. <laughs> okay, well, what, what do you, what, what's going on, kid? And he said, well, I had a vision. 
and I saw Narmada walking down that road, and I saw that you're going to see her first with your own eyes, and it's going to be before your birthday. And my birthday is January 26th. And so I said, okay, and we thanked, we thanked God. We thanked him, and then we ate dinner. And sure enough, on January 25th, I'm outside near the gate, and I happen to look up, and I see a mother and a daughter from a distance walking. As we get closer, we, can, we found out it's Narmada and her mother. And we just, I mean, we all, we called everybody, and there was a party, y'all. We were, you know, cheering and crying and laughing. And, and she comes up, and we hug them, take them in, and, and the mother says, I'm really sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. She was, she was six hours away from us. That's where she had taken her to, um, to, to, to get rid of her. And she said, I was trying to do that, and something happened to me. A big giant cloud forced me back to your gate, six hours away. And I had no peace or no rest until I, the cloud just pushed me and pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. And then finally I found myself at your gate and then the cloud went away. And that's how we got Narmada back. You know, that's con so contending prayer. That's the kind of praying without ceasing, you know. And Narmada now is in her third year of college. And she's amazing. She's an amazing young woman. Um, I think the second thing that God's kind of highlighted to us over, over the years is to pray without doubt. This is a hard one. Pray without doubt. I think of, um, I think one of the first verses that kind of threw me off early on in my walk with Jesus was James 5, 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I used to read that and think, well, I'm not righteous, so my prayers are kind of okay, and sometimes a little powerful, maybe, if things go well. And so I read that almost as a, in a, a way, I just, it just kind of, I just felt, I guess I felt discounted a little bit sometimes when I read that passage. I mean, I knew, the, okay, yes, you're righteous by the blood of Jesus, but let's be honest, anybody here feeling especially righteous, actually, you know? And so the, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective, and I wanted so much of my prayers to be powerful and effective, and then, and then, and yet, I felt like maybe I wasn't righteous enough sometimes, you know? And so um, God highlighted to me James 2, Galatians 3, Romans 4, all pointing back to Genesis, um, chapter 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as what? As righteousness. And it was like this light bulb. I was like, wait, what? Let me read that again. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I'm thinking to myself, Abraham didn't perfectly believe God. I mean, he went out and slept with Hagar, right? And then he even asked God, how do I know this is really going to happen? What God promised. How can I really know that you're going to do it? And so it wasn't even perfect belief, but he believed God anyway. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And furthermore, he was called God's friend. He was called God's friend. And, and I don't know, something just shifted in my heart from that moment till now. I find it really easy to believe God for almost anything. I don't, it's, 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 I find it easy to believe him. And, and, and then the thing is, my prayers have started becoming powerful and effective. I believe him, you know? So the prayers of a believing person are powerful and effective and it's, it's, it's life-changing. You know, I think about one of my kids who also, well, I'm really just realized I'm bragging about this kid because he's in this story too. My oldest kid, and he is now a church planter in, in uh, South India. Um, this is his story. And so I think about him, and because he, he always had a way of praying without doubt. He, when he was probably, he and his brother were probably 13 years old and 11 year old, 11 year old, 11 year old. And he, 
They came, they came over uh, to our home through a social worker about a year earlier, a year and a half earlier. And along the way, an uncle, uh, an uncle shows back up. Both of, both of the parents have, have passed away. And he said, I want those two boys, he told the social worker. They've, they're 11 and they're 13. They're old enough to work the farm. I have a piece of land. I want them to work the farm. They don't need to go to school. These boys are great students. And they love Jesus. And they, they said, no way, we're not going with you. And the social worker said, well, actually, you got, these, you got these two boys in a way from this other organization. They never really legally got relinquished by the uncle. So actually, he does have rights to them. And so again, we fought that, but there was to no avail. And so the, the, the social worker said, I'm coming, to get, I'm coming with, the, with the uncle on Sunday. This is Thursday. I'm going to pick up the boys, have them packed, and have them ready. Boys were devastated. I mean, they were crying. The kids were crying. We were crying. And Kinnon just stops and says, it's not God's will for me to go. It's clearly God's will for me to be with you and to be in this family. I'm not supposed to go and, and work on the farm. I'm supposed to go to school. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to know Jesus. This is not, I'm supposed to be a part of this family. And he just began leading us. And so we prayed Thursday night. We fasted. God, would you do a miracle? Would you let Kitten stay? And Kitten was praying, thank you, God, for letting me stay. You know, and it's not a name it, claim it thing. He just knew. You know, and so he was too young to be messed up all that crazy theology, right? He was actually just, he just knew. And so he said, he said, um, I know, God, it is not your heart for me to go. And so I believe you're going to do a miracle. And he was kind of praying for us, show them also. <laughs> you know, and he was praying, God, you know, do a miracle, do a miracle. And so, of course, Thursday night passes. The social worker said, have them packed, have them ready to go. Sunday morning. He's coming on a train about seven or eight hours away from here, have them ready. And so I'm torn, like, do I, pack, do I prepare them? Do I, like, coach them, prepare them, and talk to them, and get them ready for what might happen? Or do I stand with them in belief? And I didn't pack for them. I didn't pack a thing. I just stood with them. And so the next day comes, Saturday comes, or a Friday night comes, same thing, fasting and praying for a couple of hours. You know? And so this is Thursday night, Friday night, and now it's a Saturday night. And I'm still thinking, should I have packed? Should I have not have packed? Should I have talked to them? Should I have coached them? And I don't, and I don't know what to do, but I, at the end of the day, I have to, you know, I'm going to follow the lead of my son who says, I'm staying. And so we prayed and we prayed. And, and uh, at that moment, he just says, we can stop praying. Let's go fix dinner. And, he, and I'm thinking, okay. When Kitten speaks, we tend to listen. Um, he said, you can stop praying and we can go fix dinner. And I said, what happened? He goes, oh, oh, well, I just know that I'm not going. I said, well, how do you know? He goes, oh, well, we were just praying right now, and I saw um, a, a drop of blood come from the cross, and it hit my uncle on the head. And he shook his head, and he said, I changed my mind. And I'm thinking, okay. And so we go. We eat. Sunday morning comes, 9 o'clock. Social worker's going to come with the uncle. They don't show up. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. 12 o'clock, he finally calls us and says, well, the uncle never showed up at the train station. So I called him. He never got on the train. He said as he was getting ready to board the train, he suddenly had a change of heart and change of mind and decided that the boys could be with you forever. And they're still with us. And like I said, Kitten is a church planter right now. And he's got a son of his own. And he's an amazing young man. I'm so proud of him. Pray without doubt.
to pray without doubt. The prayers of a believing person are powerful and effective. And I think God wants to teach us that. He wants to unleash belief in our hearts. You know, um, holy, crazy, that doesn't make any sense, belief. One that defies explanation. I have another, um, I think the third thing that God's kind of taught me over the years, and this was a harder one to learn. I wish I didn't have to learn it, but I had to many times over. And that's to pray without offense. To pray without offense. I think about, um, there's a friend of mine, he was here at, at, uh, at seminary in 1996, and his name was John Cannon, and uh, he had an accident, and he passed away, um, and he was, in a, he was in a severe coma. And we all gathered around, and I prayed, God, you know, do a miracle, raise him up from the dead. I just knew he was going to be raised from the dead. You know, and prayed, I prayed without ceasing, and I prayed without doubt. I was 110% sure that when I opened my eyes after praying for John, that he would open his eyes and come out of his coma. And he didn't. He passed away. And so when he died, I was heartbroken. But guess what? My faith didn't die with him. It didn't die with him. As much as I pray without ceasing, without doubt, my faith was never in the event or the outcome. And I think that's the biggest jewel I can give anyone. Let's learn to place our faith not in the outcome or the event, but instead let's place it in the man, the person of Christ. There's a big, it's a shift, right? You can believe God for miracles, but I'm all about it. I'll believe with any, I'll believe with any of you for anything at any given time. Believe God for miracles, but do not place your faith in the outcome or the event or the thing that you're hoping for. Instead, if we can shift our hearts and learn to, learn to put our faith in the man Jesus, in the person of Christ, his character, his personality, his nature, his affection for us, his heart for us, you know, who he is. That's what, we, that's what God wants to teach us. This is unoffendable faith, and that's not really a word. I know that, but I would like it to be. <laughs> you all understood what it meant, right? Unoffendable. I looked in the dictionary. It's not there, but it should be there. God wants to teach us to have this kind of unoffendable faith. And unfortunately, the only way you can learn about it is when, you know, things don't work out the way that you had hoped. You know, that's, that's the way, only way. I remember um, early on in my walk with Jesus and, and here at Asbury, um, I was mentored by this godly older woman. Some of you might know her. She's passed away a, a few years ago. Her name was Margaret Thurkelson. And I remember her, I was, you know, she, she would say, Tammy, lean in, honey. I'm gonna teach you the secret. To, to, to prayer. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Yes, teach me, Margaret. And she said, pray. <laughs> and she said, you want to know how to become a woman of prayer? And I said, yes, more than anything, Margaret. She said, pray. Just pray. And so that's what I'm talking about. There's no other place to get this inside of you, this unoffendable heart, except one place. It is through relationship with Jesus, period. There's no other way, because how can I be offended when I get to know him? When I see how good he is, and I experience his goodness and his nature and his heart and his affection, his character, his personality, I can't be offended with him, no matter what happens. You know, a good friend dying, you know, I can't be offended. I can be heartbroken, but I can't be offended. And that's what I'm talking about. And, and the secret, what's the secret to having this kind of uh, relationship with God? Anybody know? 
Spend time with them. I know, Lena, and I'll tell you the secret. <laughs> you have to spend time with them. It's in the secret place this kind of life is forged. It's, it's other things help, chapel, you know, events, conferences, um, study, all those things are awesome, but like there's also something to be said for the secret place just soaking in him, soaking in him in every which way, you know, through scripture, through worship, through prayer, through just sitting and saying nothing and just being under the waterfall of like his spirit and just resting in that place. That's where that kind of stuff is forged and there's no shortcuts, unfortunately. I tried a few shortcuts, they don't work. There's no other way to get there except through the secret place. And I think about an unoffendable heart. One of the examples I think about is, um, in the Bible is, uh, is from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Their hearts that which said, you know, you know, our God is able to do it. He will do it. But even if he doesn't. And that kind of heart is what I'm talking about. I think that's a perfect example for me in scripture of an unoffendable heart. 100% belief and 100% trust and then a sense of peace. You know, I won't be offended no matter what. It's a, it's a really, it's actually, it's actually a lot of tension, isn't there, between believing God for impossible things, radical belief for something impossible, and not having an unoffendable heart. You're not saying, you're not giving yourself an out. You're not praying, God, you know, I hope that you'll, you know, give a, do a miracle. But even if, you know, if that doesn't work out, then, you know, it's not, it's not that. It's God, I believe you. Do a miracle, God. But then and there's a, just a strange balance in the back of your, your mind and your heart that says, but I trust you. I know you. You're good. You're for me. I can say unequivocally that I, I sense that God is for me really strongly, even in my heart, most heartbreaking times of my life. And I've gone through a lot of stuff in, in, in the India, and there's been a lot of, of hard, hard stuff over the years. But through it all, through it all, I've always, I haven't always, but I've most of the time I've sensed that God's for me. And, I, and, I, and when I didn't sense it, I ran into the secret place until I did, you know? And that's what I'm talking about, having an unoffendable heart. I think about um, an example, I guess I can give you uh, that's recent. <laughs> Um, I've spent 24 years almost in India, and I actually thought I would live and die there. I, mean, I would live all my life, and I would die there. I remember somebody saying, you need insurance so that if something happens, they'll fly you out. And I was like, if something happens, I'll, I'll deal with it in India. What if you get some kind of terrible disease? I was like, India has doctors? You know, well, what if something happens and there's an overthrow of something and some kind of, you know, I was like, well, I'll be there right along with my friends and people and my family. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I literally had no concept for a life outside of India. No savings, no retirement plan, no insurance, no, no thoughts for a life back in the U.S. I would come visit every, every three years or so. But um, other than that, I never, it never even crossed my mind, you know? And so um, I know that you may not know this, but our, our group in India is a, is, is a family. And so... These kids are my kids. My youngest is right here. She's beautiful. You can say hi to her if you see her. Her name is Otter May. She's 14, and she's with me right now. And so, but my others are still there. And so I'll just kind of tell you the story, but I guess um, India has kind of become a closed country over the years, a lot more pressure, especially in the state that, that I was kind of in. And over the years, it's become closed and increasingly, increasingly kind of tough place to be. And over the years, I've been interrogated. I've been questioned. You know, 
But about a year and a half ago, they kind of like zeroed in on me. And they called me onto the authorities and started questioning me and interrogating me. I, I went maybe um, almost 10 times to the uh, foreigner office and was, um, I don't use the term persecuted, but if there's a closer term, I, I wasn't hurt in any way physically. Uh, the worst thing that happened was they would grab something out of my hand and, and yell at me and slam the table and stuff. But, but um, it was just increasingly tough and, and to, to, to answer their questions. And they kept asking me, you know, tons of questions. They kept threatening to take my child away. We're going to take your child away from you if you don't tell us all the Christians you know in this area. Give us their names. Give us their addresses. Tell us what dates you, you've been with them. And so it was a horrible time, and I could feel, you know, asking people. I mean, anybody that knows me, I would have reached out and said, can you guys pray for me? You know, I need a miracle. I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the spotlight right now, and I need God to come through for me. And what, what I didn't tell you is that in 2017, I was blacklisted. And thousands of people prayed for me. And by some miracle, I walked right back in through the country. Never with the guy, the immigration, for the first time in my life, didn't even see my face. He went, uh, and he stamped my passport and let me back in after being blacklisted. And so that was 2017. And so this is now fast forward, 2021. And so I'm, I'm asking people, pray for me. Ask God to do it again. Ask him to do a miracle. Somehow get me, let me be in this country. This is my home. This is my family. I don't want to go anywhere else. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I prayed, we prayed without ceasing for about three months when this was all going on. We prayed without doubt most of the time. I had a little doubt creep in sometimes, you know, for, for, three, for three months. And then they come up to me and they say, basically, they gave me a notice and said, you have one week to leave our country. This is an issue of national security. We know that you've been involved in Christian ministry. We may not have all the details, but we know that you've been here way too long. We don't know how you were here this long. You were kicked out years ago. And so here, here's this, uh, in, this, this notice that they gave me to, to immediately leave. And they gave me a week to pack my, my, they gave us one suitcase and my daughter and I left our entire home. 23 and a half years. Our people, our family, my kids, I still have high schoolers over there. Left them, we had to leave them and they literally you know, took us to the, to the airport and made us get on a plane and said, you're not welcome in this country again. And you can imagine, you know, I was a mess. Anybody that saw me in the next six months would attest that I was a big mess. You know, I was a big mess, but something, I'm so grateful because I can honestly say that through that horrible time, that horrible ex experience, and it's like my worst, you guys have no idea, I'm coming to America with two suitcases and nothing else. I, I, I don't have any physical family here. I, I had my family in Christ and I was relying on them heavily and people were so kind to me and it was a very soft place to land, but it was just horrible. It was just horrible and I was devastated. But there was still this thing inside of me, I couldn't get offended. And it's not because I'm awesome. It's not because I'm wired. Oh, Tammy just doesn't get offended. That's her personality. No. It's because God has done something in me over the years. 23, 25, you know, years. He's put something in me. And I think, I actually, I don't want to say this because I don't want to like test God, but I think it's almost impossible for God to offend me. Because I know he's good. And I know he's for me. And I know he, you know, I don't understand it. And I'm not, I'm not, I think the American church lacks a robust 
theology of suffering. I have, no, I have no desire to package it and put a cute bow on it and say, this is why, now I can feel better. It's just horrible. It just stinks. I get re-traumatized when I talk to my kids at home and they, and they cry or they, they express their need for me. It breaks my heart every single time. But I will not be offended. And the reason I'm not offended is because God's been so kind to me and I've spent time with him and he's allowed me to spend time with him and he's faithful. And I think God just wants to put that in our hearts. The ability to believe God for impossible things and yet still walk, walk in your heart with zero offense. Is it possible? What if the worst thing happens? Is it possible? You know what my worst nightmare was? I'm not scared of anything, guys. Y'all don't know me, but you don't know this about me. I'm not scared of bad guys with machetes or, or, or you know, M16s. Is that a thing? Is that a gun? Yes. I'm not scared of any, I'm not scared of any, I really, I, I, don't, I don't really get that scared of hardly that kind of stuff. The one thing, my great, I'm scared of dentists, maybe. But uh, the one thing, my nightmare, getting kicked out of India, not being allowed to be with my children and my family, not being able to spend my life there. And it came to pass, my worst fear. And still, God enabled me to walk this out over this past year and a half without offense. It doesn't mean without heartbreak. It doesn't mean without tears. It doesn't mean without questions. It just means without offense. And I think, that, I think, that, I think we need that in the American church. And so that's kind of my heart. Maybe, you know, if you were to ask what kind of um, anointing would you want to spread to the people that are hearing, I would say unoffendable hearts and an ability to believe God for impossible things. You know? And so we're just going to pray and uh, ask God for that. If, if your heart's hungry, I mean, I believe God, he wants, to, he wants to unleash a holy hunger and desperation for him. And so if that's you, you know, you feel, if your heart's jumping and you have a yes in your heart, then that's God moving, right? That's the Holy Spirit moving. And so God wants to unleash that in us, a, a, a desperation, an ability to believe God for impossible things. One time I heard it said, if you're not believing God for anything, then what's the point of life? And so what are you believing God for? Now, think about it right now in your own life. What are you believing God for? You know, is it something radical? Is it for healing? Is it for, uh, for God to give you a baby when you haven't been able to get pregnant? Is it for healing of a loved one or for yourself? Is it, for, I mean, I know sometimes we get scared to believe for things because what if it doesn't happen? Right? We don't want to really go all out and asking God for an absolute miracle because what if it doesn't happen? We gotta save God's, I mean, we gotta, is that like helping God to save face? Like, does he need that? You know, and so that's kind of what I'm talking about. God wants to do it amazing. He wants to do that in all of our hearts. And so my, my prayer for you guys is that, is that you would have unoffendable hearts and, and ability to believe God radically, that you would have a hearts that are hungry for God, desperate for God. One reason we've seen God move, you guys heard three or four stories. I have 150 more. One reason that's harder to see God move sometimes in the West is because we have everything we need. And so sometimes we actually do need God desperately, but we just don't know it. And so it could be, it could be that for you. You know, yeah, you, you do, everyone here needs God as much as my kids need God, as much as anybody in any other country needs God. There's no difference. We're all desperate. The difference is that over there we know it. <laughs> and over here, we don't always know it. You know, and so I think that's what God wants to do in our hearts. And so I'm going to pray for you. If you, 
if you um, are, you can have, you don't have to be perfect, guys. You can be like Abraham. <laughs> he believed God and he was called God's friend. His belief was credited as righteousness and his belief wasn't even like perfect. If you go study him, it really wasn't perfect belief. So God's not saying you have to perfectly believe me. He'll, he'll be okay with just a little bit. And so if that's you, you can pray. You can come up and pray, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Beautiful prayer. God honors that, you know. And, and if, if you feel that you kind of carried an offense in your heart from some unanswered prayer, then come forward and get rid of it today. Let it go. If you feel God saying to you, you know, I want you to, to, to take the next step in intimacy. I want you to go deeper with me. I want you to go all or nothing. 100% just, just come towards me, pursue me. Then come, come and get prayer for that. And so that's kind of my invitation this morning, I guess. And so I'm going to pray. You guys can come. And if, if you feel your heart in that place, come forward. I'll pray for you. You can pray by yourselves. It doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, God, God's here and he loves us. And he, he desperately wants to unleash this truth in the body of Christ all over the world including Asbury. And so it's not just a truth for a few, and it's not just a truth for people in other countries. It's for us today. So if you want this in your own heart, then I encourage you, uh, just ask God for it. I believe he'll do it 100%. And if you don't believe, I'll believe for you. No problem. Yeah? So let's pray, and you can come forward if you want to. Um, so Father, we just, we just give you permission to move in any which way you want to, God. We love you. We love the way that you move, God. We have freedom here, God. Lord, I pray if anyone's feeling offended, secretly carrying offense towards you because of unanswered prayer or unmet expectations or disappointment or um, hopes that didn't quite work out the way they wanted them to, I pray that they would be free today. And I pray for those that have belief and are believing you, but they waver, help their unbelief, God. And I pray for those who sense you calling them into a deeper level of relationship, God, that you would do it, Lord. They would come forward, God. They would give their hearts to you in a new way, and they would not look back, God. All or nothing, God. All or nothing, God. We love you, Lord, and we love the way that you move. Amen.